welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, hello everybody, it's Dudley, I'm back again, and uh, thanks everyone for tuning into the first podcast. I know I've got a ton of awesome response already, and uh, that's definitely much appreciated and uh definitely doesn't go without uh without me noticing uh this really is an awesome way for me to be able to answer these questions and uh talk about the things that I know people are wanting me to talk about and uh be able to share them to the world so tonight I posted some uh a quick little question on Facebook asking everybody uh, to give me a few things that they're wanting me to talk about. And obviously, I'm not going to be able to hit them all every time I do a podcast. But, uh, you know, certainly we'll scroll through and uh, hit the ones, depending on what I know is going to be coming up for future podcasts. Um, I may skip over some just because I might know of uh, a guest I might have coming up. Or, you know, I might know of. A certain situation or maybe a certain place that I'm going to be going or an episode that might be coming up for the show where I can talk about a specific subject that you're asking about. So I'm going to kind of thumb through here and look at some different, uh, some different comments and find some subjects that I think you guys are going to be interested in. Uh, it was pretty funny because a day ago, uh, Sharon and I were talking about doing the podcast and I uh, just kind of wondered what the response was really going to be like. And, you know, out of all the things I do, it seems like this really did get accepted really well right out of the gate. Uh, tonight, I took the family to uh, to our local Mexican place for some, for some dinner. And then on the way home, Little Dud wanted a, a blizzard from Dairy Queen. So we swung in there and, and uh, the dude in the drive-thru, Cole... He was, uh, he was like, hey, man, I really like the podcast. So obviously the word's spreading fast. And once again, you know, I really appreciate you guys supporting me on this and make sure you spread the word. Um, okay, the first question is actually the very first one that I got from uh, John McCoy, actually, on the Knock on TV Facebook page. And he was asking about arrow building and then also about two inch three inch four inch veins um you know what kind of veins you use there's so many different vein configurations out there straight fletch drastic helical really what should i go with so i've done tons of testing on this and for those of you out there um who don't really know me as well, you know, I've done a considerable amount of ballistic testing um, for Easton back in the earlier days. I used to get a ton of shafts um, all fletched um, actually right from Easton with different uh, veins that were on the market. So I would have, say, five dozen um, FMJs all 300 spined, but I'll have them in sets of six where each six would have a different set of fletchings on there. So 
I really got to compare a four inch vein, a Dura vein, a Blazer vein, um, a Norway vein, uh, an AAE vein, a Max Hunter. You know, I really got to compare all that stuff. And honestly, every bow starts to accept those types of configurations differently. So, as much as I hate saying it, you really do need to learn some of these things for yourself. And here's what I really like to do. Um, I like to get a dozen arrows. That, again, last last podcast we talked about this time of year being a great time of year for doing some testing. So what I'll do is this time of year, um, for example, I just got a brand new set of the um, FMJ injections from Easton. So what I've done is I've got four of them that are fletched with my Max Hunters, and then I've got four that are fletched with my AE260 uh, Elite veins. And then I'll also make one set that'll be like four fletched with um, the Max Hunters, and then I'll also get like, um, you know, a different vein that may be on the market that's popular. So um, I'm personally an AAE guy, so really a lot of my testing comes down to those products because those are the products that I personally use. But what I do is, you know, and what I think a lot of you should do is shoot those arrows at a distance where you're 100% comfortable that you're able to make good shots, but as long as possible. So, you know, some guys, their maximum distance is 40 yards. You know, some guys, it could be 80. Now, you know, it seems like the distance just continues to stretch. You know, five years ago, people thought I was crazy when I told them I did all my testing at 100 yards, and I still do. 80 yards is probably my favorite distance because I can really be confident in making good shots, and I can also see big differences between different veins and then also different arrow shafts or even different broadheads once you get into that part of it. But, you know, last year on the Facebook page, um, I had a lot of people asking the question, you know, should I shoot a like a flex fletch or should I shoot a blazer or should I shoot um, a Max Hunter? So what I did was I actually took my dozen I fletched four of them each way and I just went to 80 yards and just lobbed them all down there just shoot them all because if you shoot all of them down there at one go and granted if you make a really bad shot you need to weed that arrow out of your mix okay but when I lob them all down there factoring in all of them were good shots and I'm not out there shooting in wind you know you need to have your elements calm you don't need to have variables factored in on this initial test but then what I do is I go down there and you can see right away you know hey the say the four fletch is three inches lower than everything else that's going to tell you right away that even though that four fletch might be four smaller veins if it's whatever's lowest on your target that's going to be the arrow that has the most drag or the most configuration that has the most drag so a general rule of thumb 
is an arrow that has more drag is going to start to slow at a higher rate at those longer distances. The more something slows down, the more it's going to start to lose its accuracy. So it's a lot like a parachute effect, okay? The the faster, sometimes, and when it comes to like helical on your arrow, you know, if you're a short distance shooter or you're really trying to get a broadhead to spin fast out of the bow and say your effective or maximum range is 40 yards, then you can set up an arrow that has a lot of helical on it Um, something that has a lot of spin because it's not going to really be slowing down much inside of well inside of 60 yards it's not going to slow down terribly a lot but once you start getting beyond that 60 yard mark that's when you really start to notice the differences in the ballistics starting to factor in with an arrow the more it's spinning then the more it's going to have resistance or drag with it And it's also going to start to slow down at a faster rate. And when that happens, the groups start to get bigger. Um, You know, if you look at, and you can test this as well with a chronograph. And I have, you know, I've taken like, say, a spin wing vein and put it on and shot it at 100 yards compared to um, the same shape of vein exactly, but just with a slight offset and no actual spin on it, no rudder on it. And the arrow with just a slight offset with no, you know, with no rudder on the vein is obviously a lot faster. It doesn't have near the drag. It maintains its speed longer and it also maintains its accuracy. So when it comes to selecting those veins, I like to first see what has the most drag and then also take a look at what is shooting you know the best groups and what you'll find is those things may not vary too much but I liked it you know if I'm shooting a mechanical head and I know that I don't need a lot of steering then for me a four fletch arrow is like automatically out of the question now, if you're having a fixed blade head and you're having troubles trying to get that that head to shoot close to your field points and you're, you feel like you're having trouble controlling that, that particular fixed blade head, um, and it could be the design, it could be the fact you're shooting it with too much speed, um, it could be how your bow's set up, how the arrow is tuned to you, to your bow. There's several factors there, but if that fixed blade head is not reacting well, then you should start looking at some type of fletching that gives that arrow more direction or really starts to take over the control. So that would be the time where maybe a four fletch with a very strong helical um, or a very strong offset could factor into play. But what I learned back when I shot um, professional FIDA and when I started shooting tournaments at 90 meters, I learned really darn quick that my way of thinking as a hunter as and my way of thinking as a 3D archer just totally went out the window because shooting a lighter point, shooting... Uh, 
necessarily a smaller fletching with a lot of helical on it or a lot of offset, which is what I did when I shot 3D. Um, those just did not perform well at the longer distances. So, you know, naturally I gravitated to a smaller arrow with higher mass or heavier mass weight. And then I also found that the smaller low profile veins, like the 187 shield cut veins, like right now I'm shooting a, a low profile 2.0, um, max, I think it's an AAE max target or something. We have them. We actually, we sell the exact vein at knockonarchery.com that I shoot for both my hunting and, and for the target archer, target archery. But I found that that low vein with just a slight offset, like on an X10 or pro field or a pro tour or an ACE, that arrow had tremendous accuracy, um, increases over some of the arrows that I shot in 3d with more offset on the vein. So, you know, you really need to get a dozen arrows and don't take other people's word for things. You know, you need to put in a little bit of homework. If you really want to improve your shooting and take a step up, you know, if you feel like right now you're an okay shooter and you want to make it to that next level, then it's no different than anything else in life, guys. There comes a point where, you know, you need to start doing the homework and you need to start making a commitment to doing just a few things more than what you used to do. And a big thing with that is going to be getting out and doing some homework on the range and testing product A versus product B versus product C. You know, Dan Evans, for example, is an awesome elk hunter, and, uh, and he's, a, he's a great archer. Um, we all know him from Trophy Taker. Shoots huge elk. But, you know, right now, if you look at Dan Evans' Facebook page, and I've known Dan a long, long time, and he's doing the same thing now as he did probably 10 years ago. And that's right now he is out fletching arrows with different veins different configurations different offsets he's got different broadheads and he's shooting every one of them out of the new bow that he's shooting right now and the one thing that I'll tell you and I try to drive this home in any of the coaching clinics that are in that I'm in or um, especially when I'm working with national teams is the fact that when it comes to bow setups and tuning you set up a bow and you tune arrows. A lot of people say, can you tune my bow? And No, I can't tune your bow, but I can tune an arrow to your bow. And what you need to realize is each year that you buy a different bow, you also need to have the understanding that there's a strong possibility that that new cam system or the fact that this bow has an inch shorter brace height than the one you shot last year or that this bow might be shooting a few more, you know, maybe you're shooting a few more pounds now than you did a few years ago. All those small little things really start to add up. And, you know, you need to know that your arrow is going to be affected differently from this bow as compared to maybe the bow that you were shooting last year. So if you had a setup that was just totally rocking and rolling, 
then there's a very good chance that when you change, you might also have to slightly change your arrow configuration to be able to get those same results. You know, it's very rare that I just grab a bow and go from this bow to the next bow without having to change either a fletching choice or, um, you know, maybe I need to shoot a slightly different arrow or maybe I need to change my pulling weight just a little bit so that I can get those same results. You know, a great example of that as well is, uh, you know, Randy Ulmer. If you look at Randy, there's times where for consecutive years, he's shooting the same bow that he shot the year before that. You know, he's he doesn't always change his bow every year. And the reason is, is he does a considerable amount of homework with a shooting machine and on the range and trying different bows versus different arrows versus different veins versus different broadheads. And when he finds something that shoots to his, you know, expectations, then, you know, he sticks with it simply because it it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. So, you know, what I found out was um, two years ago, I shot a lot of animals with, um, actually, let's think about this. Three years ago, my arrow of choice was an Easton FMJ with 50 grain brass and a 100 grain shuttle T. At the time, I was shooting um, uh, a Norway vein, and that bow shot really, really good. Then I switched last year when I started shooting, uh, when I was shooting my spider, or might have been the bow before that, I can't remember, but I know that I switched to the Easton injections, and with the injections, I actually started shooting uh, the Max Hunter, and it was shooting really good with the Max Hunter with the injections, um, and I actually, I liked, and I always do, like having more front weight. When it comes to a hunting arrow, I'm a huge believer in having high FOC. I like to have higher front weight, and what's important about that is if you use these heavier um, inserts or heavier broadheads to get your front of center higher, then you need to realize that, you know, say last year you or you've always shot a 400 spine arrow and now you want to all of a sudden decide to shoot some brass inserts or 125 grain field point or, uh, or broadhead. If you go to a heavier point in the front of that shaft, it will weaken the shaft. So you do need to know that a lot of times if you go up 40 or 50 grains in the front of that arrow, you also need to go up a spine size. You need to go to a stiffer spine. So make sure you check the charts on that and factor in, you know, 50 grains of insert weight and 100 grain broadhead. So you have to factor in 150 grains of front weight. Because what I found was when I went to um, the injections, I actually, they have a stainless steel insert. It wasn't quite as heavy as I wanted. So I actually doubled mine in. I put two in stacked together so that I doubled the amount of weight that was in the front of the shaft. Then I shot the the 100 grain Ulmer Edge um, Deep Six. At the time, they were still prototypes, but they're on the market now. 
and uh, that arrow shot really awesome. But what I found was because that arrow is only available in a 330 spine at my draw length, which is 31 and a quarter. I normally shoot my hunting bows at around 31. Um, I was finding that that shaft was just a little bit weak for me, so I had to back my holding weight on my bow down to about 66 or 67 pounds so that I could actually get the grouping that I wanted downrange. So that was two years ago, and then last year um, I switched to the Easton Hex just because of how happy I was with the tolerances of that arrow right out of the box. I loved how when I pulled 12 out, I could spin them all in my spinner. Every one of them was just, I mean, it wouldn't even make a vibration. So I really love those tolerances and the straightness. So I started shooting those with 50 grain brass in the front and a hundred grain Ulmer edge. And then I found with doing the same testing that I've talked about at the beginning, you know, taking four arrows, fletch them with a certain kind of fletch that I like, you know, I kind of experimented. I had some that were four fletch, some that were short, some that were long, some that had a lot of helical, some that didn't. For the most part, I can tell you, if you're ever going to consider a bow that you want to shoot at longer ranges, a slight offset is going to be better for you at a longer range because it's not going to slow your arrow down as much. But uh, now this year, um, you know, I'm still shooting the hex, and I'm also going to try shooting those FMJ injections. Um, and I've actually, I'm, I'm really interested to try these bow fires. I haven't got mine yet, but... Uh, but I definitely want to try those. But what I have found is just for me, the last two years with the Eastons that are that are on the market and they're only really making some shafts in a 330 spine, I'm having to back my peak weight on my bow down to about 67 pounds so that the arrow isn't too weak. So and we'll talk about we'll talk about how I recognize where whether an arrow is weak or stiff at a later time um but i can tell you when it comes to veins do yourself a favor just take get a dozen arrows fletch four one way four another way four another way and four another way and get out there and shoot them and then once you find the exact combination that you feel is really working you know find the one that shoots a tight group and find the one preferably from my point of view, that isn't the lowest grouping of the bunch because obviously that's showing you right away that that's the one that's got the most drag. And again, you're going to have to do this at a longer distance. If you're doing it at 20 yards, you're just going to wreck a bunch of knocks. So if you're really wanting to know what's the difference, then you need to do that. Then after you do that, you should then take one of all those arrows and put the broadhead of your choice on them and shoot all four broadheads down there um, each of them or you could if you wanted to do them one at a time you could and then plot them on your target take a broadhead screw it on one vein configuration shoot it down there if you know you're sighted in dead center with field points and of the four vein configurations that you have 
one broadhead or one vein configuration with the broadhead that's on there groups like dang near right in the center of the paper every time well dang that should be the fletching choice you go with regardless um, but once you do narrow down that this is your fletching choices you can you can do that same test then fletch four arrows or take the four arrows that have that and put different broadheads on those four arrows and shoot all them down there. Then you can really start to say, okay, well, I know that this particular vein all grouped here. Now I'm putting them on here and this thunderhead shoots way over here. This shuttle T-lock shoots right here. This range is like over here. And again, you can really narrow it down. You know, every year what I do when I buy a pack of broadheads and I don't use them all, I always save that last one or two broadhead that really never got to get shot at anything and save that for a tester because, you know, you really want to, before you buy your broadheads for the year, figure out what vein configuration you're going to shoot and then put a whole bunch of broadheads on those arrows and lob them down there. And then you're going to really start to see which configuration really really starts to shoot well and the same goes if you're a target archer just factor out broadhead and factor in a field point um, you know a lot of people said well when it when you shot your x10s which points did you shoot and honestly there were years or there was tournaments where i shot 100 grain stainless there were also tournaments where I shot 120 grain tungstens. Each of those points have a slightly different effect on how the arrows group because, you know, if you're a target archer, then you're following me right now when I say, you know, on the X10, the stainless steel points have a longer shaft than the tungstens. So obviously, the longer that point goes into the shaft itself, the more it's going to stiffen that spine. So, 110 grain uh, stainless steel point is probably an inch to an inch and a half longer than 110 grain tungsten. So, you know, those two points, even though they weigh the same, the arrow could actually perform slightly different because one is slightly stiffer in the arrow or slightly stiffens the arrow versus the other one. So, there's a lot of stuff to think about here. I mean, when people send me these emails or you send me messages on Facebook and you say, hey, which which point should I put in my arrow? Well, now you know because I've been here talking 26 minutes on veins and point configurations. So as much as I want to give you guys like here's what you do. Like I wish a hundred percent that there was like three options in the archery shop to where every single person could have a, B or C, but the people that are contacting me, all you guys out there that are listening right now, you guys are ones that are looking to be that next step. You're looking to, to go from the stuff that you got when you first walked in your archery shop to go to something that is going to take you to that next level. And with that comes a, a lot of variables. You know, one thing that you're going to hear me say continually over the course of these podcasts 
is my belief in archery is anytime I change anything, I change everything. That's the truth. All I did was change my knocks. Well, you changed everything. All I did was change my veins. Well, you changed everything. All I did was change out one vein. Well, you changed something. If you change something, you change everything. I mean, that really is something that you should always think about. Another thing, I guess, while I'm on the subject right now is, you know, I just really want to drive the, f- the point home to all of you listeners out there that, you know, I'm trying to bring together two completely different lives of mine, to be honest with you. I feel like I've been leading a double life here. One life is myself as a target archer. Um, and that goes for here in the U.S. as a target archer, but also internationally. Um, you know, there's so many of you in all the countries that I've worked with that, you know, you're not hunters. And, you know, I really try to, you know, it, and I understand. And what a lot of the hunters need to understand is that in a lot of these countries, you know, hunting isn't allowed and it's not understood. And that's really why I have really come to appreciate how much hunting is valued and how much I value it here in my, in my home country, because I've been a lot of places where it's not legal and, and it's probably never going to be legal and the people there do not accept it. So, you know, I've always tried to keep a pretty good separation Um, just because of the understanding that I have for that. So, you know, I really try to, um, I want to bring the target people in. I want to bring the hunters in and I just want to talk archery and I want to, I want to unite us all together because in the end, whether you're shooting a broadhead or whether you're shooting a field point, it's archery. And, and for me, that's really what it's all about. So let's move on, and I'm going to just scroll down here through some different uh, requests that you guys have got on the pages here. Um, Let's see. So many good ones here. Ways. You know, one good one, I'm just going to go with this because I got asked this today from, from my buddy Eric. Um, because last week on the show, I was talking, or it might've been a few weeks ago on the show, I was talking about, you know, how to just focus on picking your spot on the deer. And I was really talking about how to, to kind of deal with buck fever or, you know, kind of target anticipation and just really focus on you making the shot and not necessarily about, where you're going to score the score of the deer. So the next part of that was my buddy said, okay, when you're aiming, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the target? Are you looking at the pin? And that's a really, really good topic. And honestly, I believe that we should always look at the target because the pin is when you start focusing on the object in front of you then you're going to really start to build that opportunity for some target panic and some opportunity to start really focus on aiming more than execution i'm a huge believer in executing shots 
standing on the line and focusing on nothing more than going through your routine and executing your shot perfectly. Because for me, I know and I've learned that when I stand on the line and I execute, then that is what gets me in the finals. When I stand in my tree stand and I execute, that's what puts something on the ground and lets me put my tag on it. Every time I stand on a tournament line or a tree stand and I focus on the outcome or I focus on what possibly could happen or what possibility there is in front of me, every single time I've done that, it's come back to bite me. There's countless numbers of times where I've been in the middle of a tournament and I've been shooting, I've been executing, and I've totally been doing awesome. And then all of a sudden I go from focusing on execution to thinking, if I shoot three tens right now, it's a new world record. As soon as I've done that, I've lost my focus on what got me to that position in the first place, and that was the execution. So I focus on the target. I let my subconscious do its best to keep it keep my pin in the area that I want it to be. You know, you don't if you focus specifically on the pin all the time, then you're just gonna become an aimer. You're gonna want a bow that sits super still and you're gonna either have to manipulate the trigger to get your shot off or you're going to have to shoot a trigger that is super light so that you can just barely put your finger on there and literally wait for your trigger to go off and you know I I know that that works I know that there's awesome archers out there that that works for but for the majority of us the majority of us out here when we start shooting triggers that are super light, we start to get anxious. You know, if we start to just focus on aiming and being still, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're being still and freezing underneath the target instead of being on the target. So focus on the target. Um, you know, Eric said, well, yeah, I guess it's a lot like a lot like driving a car, you know, you're looking down the road, you're focusing at the end of the road, you're not really having to look at your hands and where the steering wheel's pointing. And I said, yeah, exactly. The steering wheel floats left, the steering wheel floats right, but it always comes back to the center. You know, recurve archers are amazingly accurate. And most of them are shooting, you know, a circle where they're just looking through the circle. And sometimes... I've seen archers that have a circle that's, you know, probably if if you were to compare where it sits on the target, it probably covers a 12-inch radius on the actual target face, like the entire nine ring. But they're just looking through that ring and just 100% executing the shot on the line. And their arrows are going into the center because they're subconscious is centering their bow and because they're being dynamic and pulling through their shot their arrows are going to the center and that's just how it works as funny as it may sound a hundred percent that's how it works so you know a lot of times when people talk about pick a spot pick a spot you know 
don't just pick a spot and then focus on aiming and staring at your pin, focusing on your pin and then trying to put the pin on the spot. Just do your best to to see the pin in your subconscious, get it on the target, and then be 100% confident in the fact that you're doing your best to hold it on that target and then you're focusing on execution. You know, a lot of people out there right now are, are especially the target archers, they're really wanting to shoot these cams that are a little bit more aggressive. They're wanting higher, um, higher holding weight and they're wanting cams that are giving them higher speeds. And with that, um, you're building a system that is more demanding on yourself. The valley is going to be shorter. Um, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have to be 90% or better into your shot in order to be accurate with that bow. And, uh, you know, personally, if you're not being 100% dynamic and if you're not focusing on your dynamics on the line, then you're going to end up running into problems. You need to pull through your shot 100%. And, you know, one of the one of the dead center segments coming up on a future episode is going to talk about finishing the shot and and the importance of that. And, you know, that really boils down to this exact philosophy of being 100% dynamic in your shot and not just pulling the trigger and thinking that the shot's over. The shot's really over when the arrow hits the target. You need to be able to stand there, have your alignment proper, pull through your release. The release fires. You need to finish your shot by contracting that bicep, pulling that rear shoulder or that rear hand back around and over the shoulder. You need Your front arm should be going towards the target, and you should really be following through and finishing that shot until the arrow hits the target you know if you do that then i can guarantee your arrows are going to start finding the center a lot more often if you just want to focus on making the shot happen fast then you're not going to be happy with the outcome you know one game that i really like to play with guys that are struggling with target panic is make it a game to see how long you can pull on a trigger before it goes off. I want you to, instead of, you know, instead of focusing on your aim or where you're holding on the target, if you've got some target panic, then start focusing on, okay, I'm going to put my finger on this trigger and I'm going to keep it on the trigger and I'm just going to do my best to hold my bow in the target and I'm going to just see if I can pull on this trigger for 10 seconds and if you start doing that and focusing on being able to actually pull through a shot and slowly increase pressure on a trigger until the release fires surprisingly then really really good things are definitely going to start happening no question about it so you know once again I want to make sure that all you guys out there are really coming together, whether you're a target archer or a hunter. I know that uh, I really plan on having some target archers um, come on as guests, and I'm going to have some hunters on as guests as well. So 
you know, we're going to have different people. I'm going to have people from all over the world because I've shot with people from all over the world. So we're going to, we're going to bring them all on the show and, uh, and we're going to learn from everybody. Cause I, I've always felt that, uh, everybody's got something that they can teach you, you know, regardless of how smart you are. So, uh, another question here, I just looked at, uh, and this is a question I get all the time. I just looked on my on my personal Facebook page is, you know, should I shoot a handheld release or a wrist strap release? And, you know, that's an awesome question. Personally, I feel like probably the most accurate and um, just, I guess, accurate is probably the only word. The most accurate release out there, I think, is probably an index finger release because I've shot some of my awesomest groups with like a Carter Quickie or um, or like an RX-1. However, those index finger releases are the ones that start to get me in trouble. You know, I can shoot them for several months and not have any problems but then all of a sudden I might start to shoot one and I get a little target you know a little bit of anticipation and as soon as I feel that to be honest I go back to my handheld release um I know that if I'm shooting my wrist strap really well and I'm drawn back I anchor I wrap my finger all the way around the trigger I relax my other fingers off the release or off the strap and then I just focus on keeping my finger bent around the trigger and not continuing to bend my finger, but instead just driving or pulling my elbow to the wall or an object straight behind me. If I just focus on doing that slow until the release just goes off, I feel like I can just shoot unbelievably. But then the second I start to get a little bit of anticipation come in there where I feel like I'm starting to... I guess to estimate how much pressure I'm putting on that trigger, then that's when I go back to my thumb release because, you know, our hands and our fingertips are incredibly sensitive, especially our fingertips. And your index finger is probably among the most sensitive. So that index finger, especially the tip of it, can feel just the slightest change in pressure. So it it really starts to send a signal to the brain of, all right, dude, you're, you know, any split second now this release is going off. So then another signal in your brain says, oh, crap, well, I'm not on the target. So I need to hurry up and get back to the target or I need to back pressure off. So then you back pressure off till you get back on the target and then you start over again. And then finally you start to run out of oxygen. So you just start to move around more. So then you finally just kind of do your best and throw your pin in the middle and hit the trigger. And next thing you know, you got target panic. So a handheld release for me, because I can set my thumb on there, I don't feel the pressure near as much. So I really like to bring my thumb to the trigger, and then once my thumb's on the trigger, I don't move my thumb anymore at all. I instead just focus on keeping all the pressure consistent in my hand and then just pulling again with my elbow back towards the wall behind me. And, uh, you know, a lot of of the ease of that shot is going to come down to you really having a good 
feel for your release and a lot of practice with your particular release to where you understand how much preload you can put or how much pressure you can put on that trigger before you start your pull. And that's something that really is only going to come with experience. But I also prefer the handheld release because as a hunter, I can always keep that release right in my on my side pocket. So it's always with me. I don't ever have to worry about undoing a buckle, undoing Velcro. I don't have to worry about not having my release with me, forgetting it, you know, forgetting my wrist strap and my bow case. It just seems like it's always, at, you know, for me, it's always on my hip. It's either in my release pouch on my, on my target quiver or it's in my release pouch that's on my hunting pants. Um, I like the fact that I can close it right onto my D loop and it's totally ready to go as a hunter. I can keep both my pockets in my hands. I have both my hands free when I'm climbing a ladder. I don't have to worry about my wrist strap banging on my ladder. Um, you know, I don't have to worry about it getting in my way. If I'm wearing gloves or, you know, several layers, I don't have to worry about the actual strap itself feeling different around my arm. So I really like a handheld release, and there's a lot of them out there, guys. I can just tell you right now, without a shadow of a doubt, I shoot Carter's. And I shoot the Carter Simple 1 or the 2 Simple. Those are the two that I shoot the most. Um, and I think if you're a target archer, you're going to like the 2 Simple better. If you're a, um, a hunter, you're going to like the Simple 1 a little bit better. It's going to really come down to the, you know, to the lightness of the trigger and how, how it actually fires. But I like something that I can just put in my hand... Um, it seems like the consistency for me is just a lot more repeatable. Um, I really, really like it. So, but a wrist strap release, um, you know, I've always said that if a wrist strap shooter is on his best, he's going to definitely have a better game than me as a handheld re release shooter when I'm at my best. But with that said, it seems like those shooters always have slightly higher spikes but they have twice the downward fall so for me as a shooter what always mattered to me most was consistency that's the one thing that I just 100% focused on if I could be consistent then I didn't really care if I came in first and I you know as long as my scores week in and week out were at the level that I knew I was shooting at then I was I was totally comfortable with going out and shooting good and not being the best one on the field because for me I always made ex I always executed good shots I can tell you that um, I competed in over 130 events as a pro archer I never once dealt with target panic um, I did as an amateur but once I learned how to make a good shot and how to execute. That's really all I focused on, and I learned um, that really that was what mattered most to me was not my outcome, but what my execution was like, and I judged myself on that more so than anything else, and I still do the same as a hunter. You know, if you don't execute a shot as a hunter in the stand, then there's a good chance you're not going to have anything to show for it. So, you know, it's not like shooting a five as a hunter is just something you write down out of a scorecard. Um, 
you shoot a five as a hunter and it means you don't put your tag on anything. So, you know, I just focus on the execution and I've always been happy with the outcome. So hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Make sure you uh, let people know about it. And uh, also make sure you subscribe to either the Podbean or the iTunes knock on podcast accounts so that we know how many subscribers that we have. And also make sure you give us a rating and uh, give us some comments. Definitely appreciate it. Have a good day, everybody. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>